It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. All right, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me. I appreciate it. I want to introduce you to a guy today who was a huge influence on my career in radio. Uh, first, I want to thank... Uh, folks like Brian and Catherine, Chris and Curtis, uh, Michelle and Nick and Nick and Patty and Patrick and Paul. I appreciate everybody's support. The show would not be possible without you. Also, Mattress Man Stores, mattressmanstores.com, four locations in Asheville, Arden and Hendersonville. They do ship nationwide. They have a 120-day comfort guarantee, so that ensures you're going to love your mattress, right? And if you don't, they're going to exchange it for free. Okay, for the 120-day uh, uh, limited time. After all, sleeping on the right mattress helps combat stress and anxiety for optimal health. If you're not getting a good night's sleep, your health suffers all around. Okay, and maybe your bed has just been deteriorating over time and you haven't even really noticed it. You just know that you're not getting good night sleeps anymore. You know, you just wake up feeling kind of tired and dragging. You're thinking... Oh, man, I don't know what happened. I used to wake up and have so much energy in the morning. It might be your mattress, folks. By the way, uh, if you get in contact with mattressmanstores.com and you're concerned about uh, going uh, into the store, they do in-store private appointments. Social distancing is observed one guest at a time. They wipe down and sanitize the card reader, the register, all of it. They have single-use pillowcases uh, that are provided for each visitor so they can do this responsibly and safely. Uh, they're committed to serving you well. You can also chat with them on the phone uh, via video conference. Uh, and if you do uh, a delivery locally, it's free. Free local white glove delivery service. Five-star service here. Use the special discount code RESTWELL for an additional 20% savings site-wide. Experience the difference at Mattressman, mattressmanstores.com. Buy local and sleep better. So we called him Charlotte's most beloved, and I think that's because that's what he called himself, and after a while everybody realized he was right. For almost 30 years, John Hancock was a fixture on the Queen City Airwaves. He retired in October 2019 from WBT. I was getting into radio in the Charlotte area in 1997. I was mailing coffee mugs. I was doing the daily deposits as a membership assistant at WFAE, which is the public radio station across town in Charlotte. When John left WBT and he went over to a morning rock station, I remember reading about this uh, in the Creative Loafing paper, and my colleagues at WFAE were all abuzz about it. Uh, two years later, I end up at WBT as a part-timer in the newsroom, and Hancock is back at WBT as well, which is how I met him, how I got to work with him for about a decade, and when I made the transition from news guy to talk host, I got to make lots of mistakes filling in for him. And uh, I did get to learn a lot from him about how to do this job. And so I want to welcome to the show, John Hancock. I appreciate you making time to talk on this little podcast here. Thanks, John. Hey, didn't you used to be Pete Callender? I did. I used to be that guy on the radio. <laughs> That's right. So did you. But you, you still, you're still on the radio. I'm still on the radio, but um, to much lesser extent <laughs> than we were. Yeah, I'm. I, I am. Uh, I'm down to like about an hour a week, uh, and uh, as opposed to uh, forty hours a week. So what has that been like? Well, it's been interesting. Um, I, I was ready to retire uh, for a thousand reasons. 
and I loved it. You know, I, this uh, staying at home was great um, until all of a sudden that pandemic hit us, and then uh, they told me I had to stay home. And so, uh, you know, I don't like to be told what to do. So when they were telling me I had to stay home, I didn't like it quite much as I did. Uh, but, 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 you know, the retirement's good, and somehow or another, I'm wondering how I ever had time for a job because I really I seem to be keeping myself busy. Uh, so I weeded things out and been through everything I own. So it's it's been kind of fun in that regard. So you you worked in Charlotte. Was it um, total of about thirty years? Right? Yeah, almost thirty. Twenty nine something, if you want to be honest. Right. So you just didn't feel like just going the full thirty. You were like twenty nine. That's where I want to lay it up short. Right there, it said. <laughs> Yeah, I did the same thing with a career. It was about a forty-nine point seven uh, <laughs> a year a career. I couldn't. I just couldn't make it to fifty. That just seemed too too long. Right. Too much commitment there. Um, you mentioned the contrarian um, attitude with uh, being told to stay home. Is that sort of required to do the job? Because I find myself to be quite a contrarian. Or is it just something that happens as we get older? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't know that that's necessarily considered a plus or a positive uh, in anybody. Uh, I, you know, I've always it's always been my own worst enemy type of deal. It didn't help me at all in uh, junior high, high school, and otherwise. Uh, it probably did not aid me early in my career. Um, but it doesn't seem to hurt you too much as a talk show host if you can weather the storm. If you can take the feedback and and uh, and take the negativity and and weather the fights, then I suppose it's an asset. You you definitely put yourself on the road to ulcers uh, with that with that philosophy. But that's yeah, you know the other part of uh, talk radio, in my belief, is that you have to be yourself, and if that's who you are, that's who you are. That is one of the uh, one of the things I learned from you as well over the years was that people will sniff out a fake talk show host pretty quickly. Uh, remember you tell me, just be honest in how you got to your opinion and who you are and don't lie, because eventually, you know, they'll fu they'll figure you out. The talk host, uh, the talk radio audience is pretty smart on that, and you'll be toast. I think that's easier said than done, because uh, it, it's hard to be yourself on the radio. I've always told the story about when you first get a chance to be on the radio, they stick you in front of a microphone, and you kind of assume... Uh, the position, assume what you think you're supposed to be, and then you spend the rest of your career trying to figure out how to be yourself, uh, and and that's hard. And I, I I don't think it's a prerequisite for radio these days either. I mean, if you listen to all the people that, I hate to just refer to them as Rush wannabes, but you listen to all the guys that are just trying to be right-wing conservative talk show hosts because they think that's the path, they're not being actually exactly who they are. I don't believe not all of them. I think they're trying to be what they think will be successful. So why did you choose radio if you did choose it at all? Or did it choose you? Why, why did you get into this line of work? I didn't initially choose it. I had the great luxury in life of growing up in a beautiful part of the country, a little tourist trap town in uh, the mountains of Colorado called Estes Park, which is right at the uh, foot of Rocky Mountain National Park. And I went to a small high school, and when I was a senior, halfway through the year, they sent me to the local radio station, um, a small 500-watt radio station. So I did a work-study program there. A guy by the name of Paul Moyer uh, hired me, and I was kind of a hippie wannabe at the time, and he was a, a cowboy redneck. Uh, and how we got along together, I don't know, but... 
he 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 opened the door for me and uh and that was the beginning of it it was a radio station really with no format and paul really wanted to spend uh weekends down in the uh in the valley uh which would have been uh denver uh with his uh then fiance and he just kind of put me in charge of the radio station eventually on the weekends so i'd get in there at you know five o'clock in the morning and leave there at eight o'clock at night and run tape programs and so on and so forth. And uh, and so that's kind of how I got into radio. Now, when I look back, there were influences that probably made me interested in radio that I just never had recognized. My dad was friends with the number one morning show in town, uh, Amol and Knight, at a station called KDEN. And I remember Gene Amol played a song for me one morning on the radio, and I sat in the kitchen and listened to it, and that was a big deal. And one of my fondest memories of a short period of time of living in St. Louis was listening to Harry Carey and Joe Garagiola call St. Louis Cardinal baseball games. And, and I think that had a huge influence on me as well. And then the, the final chapter of that is I grew up listening to, I was born in 1952, so I grew up in the 60s listening to radio. And in this case, it was KIMN, one of the great old top 40 radio stations. That had a huge influence on me. Um, to the, and to this day, when somebody gives you a compliment, I think to myself, oh, my gosh, we don't hold a candle to what the guys in the 60s were doing, the old top 40 jocks. I just hold them to be uh, in, in such high esteem, I just can't hardly stand it. There's a guy named Jay Mack that used to work at uh, KIMN, and he, he, I never knew him. He never knew me, but he's a huge influence on me. Why is that? What, uh, what is it that made these guys so great? Because I, like, I confess that I couldn't tell you a single radio DJ name from my childhood. Well, in the first place, it was a really exciting time from a music standpoint. You had Elvis and the Beach Boys and stuff like that, but, you, you know, the Beatles came. And uh, Top 40 Radio was uh, was just a big part of everybody's lives and music. Uh, music's always been a big part of me. You just kind of grew up with your favorite radio station, and these guys were magic. And they and, and as I look back on them now, influences that I didn't really, I guess, realize at the time, but they would create their own characters and put them on tape and then interact with themselves. I always thought that a couple of the characters that Jay Mack had uh, Niles and Betty Joe Bialowski and these characters that he created. I didn't know who they were. I just knew that they were uh, kind of fun. And I, I suppose at its at its uh, most pure element, it was theater of the mind. It was what radio essentially started off by stimulating in people that they'd gather around the old console radios and listen to mystery theater or things like that. And and it would conjure up pictures in their mind. And you did the same thing with Top 40 Radio. These guys painted a picture, and it was exciting, and it was new, and it was fresh, and it was funny. Uh, and the music was happening, and this was a big part of our childhoods. So do you think kids today have that sort of thing? Not in that way. You know, 40 years from now, um, they'll talk about their influences, and I don't know what those answers will be. But it will be... Um, you know, I, I got into uh, video gaming, or I got into this, or I got into that. So, uh, you know, maybe it'll be podcasts. I mean, maybe <laughs> with all the content that's available now, uh, who's to say what will make an impression on their mind that they'll remember their childhoods for? Um, it'll be different than what I have, but that doesn't make it wrong. That You know, that, that makes it theirs. 
I'm talking with John Hancock. He's a 30-year uh, radio host in Charlotte, North Carolina, 50 years or 49 and three quarters uh, uh, years in the radio industry. And we'll pick back up in 30 seconds. But first, are you prepared for disaster? Do you need some advice? Are you looking for military surplus that is real? For three decades... The answer has been Old Grouch's Military Surplus in downtown Clyde. It's an old-school, traditional store with a mix of modern and vintage items. See my friend Tim. He'll hook you up. He gets new stuff all the time. It's American-made because it's real military surplus. Camo, shirts, hats, customized dog tags, gear, all of it. Old Grouch's on Main Street in downtown Clyde across the street from the anti-aircraft gun and at oldgrouch.com. I'm talking with John Hancock, the legendary WBT host out of Charlotte, North Carolina. So where you got your start was Estes Park, Colorado. Uh, were you any good at it? Did you know that this is what you wanted to do? Like, did something click and you were like, I want to be in radio now forever and ever? No, I, but it was something I could do. And uh, uh, it was a station without any uh, real direction or format. We we would do a, an hour of the big band hour and then Hawaiian melodies. And there wasn't really any format to it. Uh, the format was that if the owner's wife, uh, ex-wife, uh, called the station and said, played the Mills Brothers. You damn well better play the Mills Brothers. <laughs> he got, ended up divorcing her and then ended up going down to his girlfriend's house in Denver, and that meant that he put me in charge of the radio station to make sure that uh, the readings were taken, uh, transmitter readings, which you had to do at the time every 30 minutes, and uh, and somebody to change the tapes, and the uh, morning show was live and read newscasts. and So I got a uh, – no, I sucked. <laughs> you know, but I but I was getting lots of experience in a short period of time, and and in the environment that was probably best for me without somebody hanging over my shoulder, and in, in small towns are interesting in that even if you're not very good, people are supportive of you. I wasn't some, I wasn't a kid that was on the radio that wasn't it wasn't any good. I was Ruth and Hal Hancock's son who was on the radio, and in a small town, everybody knows everybody, so. You know, everybody kind of gave me some leeway and gave me uh, gave me some time. Do you think that that is lost in today's radio culture? The the small town stations where people can make those kinds of mistakes and learn the business. Yeah, I, I, I on a number of avenues, though. I, I don't know that the uh, I don't know that kids have as much patience these days to work their way up the ladder, start in a small market, and then uh, work your way up to a medium market. Because from Estes Park, I went to uh, Fort Collins uh, and uh, was in Colorado State University for a short period of time, but I was working some radio stations in Fort Collins. And uh, and then I went to Colorado Springs for a while, and then I uh, went down to Dallas, Texas, and that uh, failed miserably down there. Uh, and came back and worked all sorts of stations in Denver, but not necessarily in on-air roles, doing production shows and uh, this, that, and the other, uh, whatever they'd let me do. I, I think it was, um, uh, yeah, I think it was really beneficial to take that path and climb that ladder that way, because you kind of learned the way uh, you were supposed to. And if you ever started getting a big head on your shoulders, uh, someplace along the line, somebody would kick you in the shins and bring you back down to earth. And so by the time you did finally get to a major market or a big radio station or a great opportunity, you were more apt to be ready to take on that role because you had already done all your dumb stuff before. I'm not so sure there's the patience anymore to, uh, say, get out of college and then uh, say, go put in 15, 20 years and you might make yourself some money. 
<laughs> I beg you know, nobody wants to wait that. Nobody can see that. Well, and, and there's no guarantee that it'll pay off. You could waste 20 years trying to get there, and it doesn't work. More people will leave it than stay in it. If you've got the backbone or the stupidity, I'm not sure which, <laughs> to, to stay in it, you'll outlive an awful lot of your competition. <laughs> <laughs> just just by sheer surviving that's it just by living that's that'll get no, you <laughs> they'll, they'll go on to insurance jobs and make lots of money and you'll still be down there uh, uh arguing with a program director about whether it's currently 54 degrees or presently 54 degrees you know <laughs> that sounds like an actual argument you've had <laughs> i have i had a pd that just uh, was adamant that it was always presently it was never currently i've never forgotten him <laughs> What is what is the difference? What was the argument there? Do you remember what the nature of his rationale was? No, there was no nature to his <laughs> rationale. That's the way he wanted it. Um, and so that's the way we did it. But that didn't mean that it wasn't absurd. He, well, I've, you know, I mean, you've been around uh, long enough to know it's uh, you. You run into some uh, pretty interesting scenarios sometimes. And common sense, uh, you just think to yourself, wow. Um, but and I would, this is you're, you're, you've uh, kind of figured this out too with this podcast thing. One of the when I left WBT after ten years, oh nine years, not ten years, um, in a dispute with management, uh, and then went to this rock station in Charlotte, which was kind of like going back to my roots. Uh, and then that lasted a couple of years, uh, and then they sold to a major corporation, and then I went back to WBT. I remember the lesson that it taught me in there was I got to figure out a way to become in charge of my own destiny a little bit more. And, and no matter what profession you choose, if you're working for somebody else, your destiny, your decision-making is somewhat out of your hands, and you will find that very frustrating at times. So I think that's why a lot of people go in and start their own businesses, because they they just get tired of uh, not being in charge of their own destiny. And your podcast is kind of an answer to that as well. Is uh, uh, you know, I want something I can call my own uh, th that nobody else can come in and screw up. If somebody's going to screw it up, I'll screw it up. Yes, I'm perfectly capable of doing that. No extra help <laughs> needed. <laughs> well, it's and uh, you, you, I have met some people uh, and characters, yes, in this industry along the way, and it reminded me. Here's another uh, John Hancock pearl of wisdom, which is radio is a fine profession for C average students, uh, but that's not necessarily a bad thing because I mean I just wasn't a good student because I didn't want to be there. No, it's it's not a bad thing at all. Uh, it depends on why you got that C average, and uh, schools um, sitting in a chair learning off of a blackboard was never going to work for me. Um, I was always really creative. I think one of the reasons they sent me to the local radio station when I was a senior was to get me out of the building so that my fellow senior <laughs> graduates could have a shot at uh, at an education. You were dragging the uh, class down. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. Um, the, the, my graduation class was 59 people, so I know all of them really well. We get together still every five years, and we're just really tight. But there was a there's a girl named Marilyn who I went to school with up there uh, forever. And one day in uh, in school, and I could walk you into the classroom right now, she stood up and yelled at me because I was acting up in the front of the room, would you stop it and shut up? You're robbing all of us of our education. <laughs> and Oh, man. And I, uh, I remember at the time, you know, uh, well, I remember that. Well, Marilyn went on to become a school teacher. <laughs> 
And I went on to continue to be the class clown. Yeah. And I think in some ways we were both, that day represented both of us practicing our future vocations. Uh, I was not good for the classroom uh, and, a, and a setting like that, but I was really creative, and my mind worked fast, and I could be funny. And uh, those were all assets for me in radio, not necessarily assets for me in a schoolroom. No, not as a student. Maybe as a teacher. You could probably do well as a teacher. Uh, just, no, not as a student. And, and I, that's the thing. Like, I would get really good grades, and I would always get acts up in class, speaks at inappropriate times. I would be you know, making running commentary on the teacher's <laughs> lesson as it's occurring, which they never seem to appreciate or find as humorous as my classmates. I don't know why. So when you talk about Estes Park in Colorado and you listening to your show over the years, I've heard a lot of stories that you've told about Estes Park. And I thought, honestly, that once you retired, uh, I thought for sure you were heading back to Colorado. Um, but you didn't. You you stayed in North Carolina. Uh, you didn't stay in Mecklenburg, <laughs> but you stayed you stayed in North Carolina. So why did you choose that? Well, I uh, I, I married. Um, I finally got married when I was forty two years old, and uh, she has two kids. Uh, I, and I always hate calling them stepkids because uh, they're like mine um, to me. So I've got a granddaughter now uh, and two sons that are pretty entrenched in this area. And uh, quite frankly, the cost of living uh, here is a lot more reasonable than Colorado. Mm. Um, I, the house I'm living in now that we built a few years ago um, would be price prohibitive in uh, Colorado. So I don't know. Uh, and I guess every time I go back to Colorado, I think to myself, gosh, I want to go back. I want to go back. And then when I finally get there, I, I think it always kind of solidifies in my mind that maybe I'm a little bit more of a North Carolinian now than I ever want to admit. <laughs> so wait, uh, you say that like it's a bad thing. <laughs> no, it's not. But and you know, uh, because the first place, one of the things I did that I shouldn't have done was spent a lot of time talking about Colorado and Estes Park. Uh, people of North Carolina don't give a damn about that. But, um, but you know, a home is where your heart is. Uh, or home is where your stuff is, but th that state means so much to me, and I, I I am so proud to be from that state that it's a little hard for me to to, to drop allegiance to it. Mm -hmm. But I mean, you know, I've been here for thirty years now, and I've never lived anywhere as long as I've lived uh, in the Charlotte area. I, you know, I, I I do. I think uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of North Carolina in me, and maybe more than what I uh, admit to. So why did you come to Charlotte? Well, I had uh, I got uh, I got fired in Jacksonville, Florida, uh, for no other reason than I got fired in Jacksonville, Florida. <laughs> I was doing mornings down there at the time. I had left Boulder and gone to Wilkesbury, Scranton, Pennsylvania, and programmed a radio station called WARM. Had a full it was a full service, uh, which means that you did some talk and you did some music, but it also had a newsroom, and it gave me an experience. That's why I went there gave me a chance to program a radio station uh, and uh, that had a newsroom. Uh, and I don't know why I knew I wanted to do that, but, uh, but I did. And then I went and did mornings in Jacksonville for a while, and I got fired there. And I had a tape that I had cut up of me doing kind of a talk format up in Wilkes-Barre, Scranton, on a day that uh, uh, news had kind of become overwhelming. 
And I cut that tape up and sent it out to everybody I could think of, including a guy by the name of Don Anthony, who was a headhunter in Atlanta, and said, hey, have you ever heard of WBT? Well, I'm a radio junkie. I know all the three-letter call radio stations, and they're all old, and they're all have a history to them. And so I knew WBT, and he said, uh, they may be interested in you. Would you be interested in them? And I said, yeah, where are they? And he said, Charlotte. I said, wow, that's great. Where's that? <laughs> I, I said, you know, I knew it was North Carolina, South Carolina, or Virginia, but I wasn't quite sure where. So um, I flew out here and uh, interviewed for the job and uh, took a drug test. And uh, long story short, uh, got the job and uh, came in here. They were not doing talk radio yet, but they were probably leaning towards wanting to. And uh, they stuck me on the air uh, following the morning show and uh, within – Gosh, not more than seven days. I was doing more talk than I was doing uh, uh, music in full service. And the GM who had hired me to come in here and shake things up said, go talk. Hmm. And uh, so I did. Oh, I didn't know what I was doing, and they didn't know what they were doing. And so we just kind of uh, grew and learned this thing together. And I was absolutely despised and hated. <laughs> I had replaced a guy named H.A. Thompson who uh, had been one of the top jocks in the country for a good long while. And uh, Charlotte did not like me at all. That's where Charlotte's Most Beloved came from. It was my sarcasm, uh, naming myself Charlotte's Most Beloved, uh, as kind of a, you know, flipping the finger to the, to my critics. And uh, it's the secret of uh, repetitious advertising. If you tell somebody something enough times, uh, they start to believe it. And uh, slow, slowly but surely, um, I, I kind of made a place for myself in Charlotte. And did that through immersing myself into the community and doing charity work and getting involved with kids' organizations, and but also by being somewhat unique on the radio. And we slowly but surely were figuring out what talk radio was. And then a year later, they hired Rush, and, and then the rest is pretty much history. I was going to ask you if you got there before they flipped it over to uh, a Rush Limbaugh news talk type of a format. So you, They were afraid to hire Rush at the time because they thought he might be too conservative. Can you imagine that? <laughs> yeah, I can. No, I can. And, and I still saw, I remember reading some of the articles when you retired, and people would refer to you in some of these uh, articles, say that, oh, you know, he was sort of like a more liberal host. And I thought that was just always an interesting way to sort of pigeonhole you, because I never thought of you like that. I, I thought on some issues you were conservative, and I thought on other issues you were pretty liberal. And... That's, I thought, what made it interesting to listen to the show. Uh, I, I grew up in the generation, uh, graduated high school in 71, but uh, grew up during the hippie generation, wanted to be a hippie. Um, and, but I was raised by a Goldwater Republican who eventually became an Episcopal priest. So uh, I am what I am. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm kind of a, a hippie that was raised by a Goldwater Republican. And, uh, you know, all of that has an influence on you. And the other thing is, I don't believe that there's just two sides. Right. I, I understand the division between the two sides, but I don't believe that it has to be one or the other. And I think common sense tells you that the truth generally is probably in between one side or the other. I'm talking with John Hancock for 30 years. He worked in Charlotte Radio. He is now retired.
Now, if you are thinking about retiring and you're looking to move someplace else or get into a bigger house or smaller house, uh, then you need to call my friend Rowena Patton and her all-star powerhouse team, 333-4483. The website is mountainhomehunt.com. Uh, she's the official Homes for Heroes agent in Asheville, which means if you are a military police officer, firefighter, healthcare worker, or an, uh, in the education field, you can keep more of the realtor commissions, 25% back from the realtor commissions, only through the Homes for Heroes program, and she is the only Homes for Heroes agent in Asheville. 333-4483, the only agent I would call buying or selling a home, Rowena Patton. 333-4483, mountainhomehunt.com, and start packing. My guest is John Hancock. He was a 30-year radio guy in Charlotte, North Carolina, a.k.a. Charlotte's Most Beloved. And uh, 50 years in the industry, a lot has changed. I wanted to ask you about um, how Charlotte changed. It was a very different place. I remember when I got there, uh, one of the first questions, this was sort of the running joke in Charlotte, which is one of the first questions you get is, hey, where do you go to church? You know, welcome to town. Where do you go to church? And uh, that's not the case anymore <laughs> in Charlotte. Uh, how how has the city changed since you've been there in ways that you've noticed? Well, it's grown up um, completely. When when they uh, brought me in from my first interview, they put me up at a hotel downtown, took me out to dinner, dropped me off downtown at 9 o'clock. I undid my tie and started looking for a bar where I could go get a scotch and water and kind of unwind from the day. And there was there was nothing in Charlotte. I mean, there was nothing in Charlotte. I had to go back to the hotel bar uh, to get a drink. Uh, now downtown Charlotte is a uh, is a mecca of restaurants and uh, and gathering places. And uh, North Carolina has changed. Um, you made reference to Mecklenburg County. Uh, you know, Mecklenburg was still electing Republicans when I got here. That's not <laughs> happening anymore. Times um, have changed. Jesse Helms and and Dean Smith and. Uh, uh, the American Tobacco uh, Company and, and textiles. I mean, all of that was may have been on their tail end, uh, but all of that was still part of the economy or part of the uh, landscape as well. And uh, so, Charlotte and uh, North Carolina have uh, have changed drastically over the over the last thirty years. Did that change how you did the job? Well, no, because uh, I don't think so. Because I, I, like I said, I was always trying to be fairly honest with my own uh, with my own opinions. I, I wasn't trying to draw opinions, for the most part, to draw an audience. I was trying to be true to myself and do a radio talk show. So, uh, if uh, if I went uh, as opposed to what the majority thought. Well, that was fine. Uh, people have to understand that the secret to radio, especially talk radio, is not necessarily those people who just love you. It's a lot of it's those people who just hate you. And the, one of the secrets of my success from the 90s was when I first got here, some people really liked me and a lot of people really hated me. But the whole town was talking about me. <laughs> and, and, that's, and that was great. That was that's exactly what you hope for. Do you think, though, that that feeds into the divisiveness that now seems to be all around the talk radio product? Yes, yeah. I think it did. When we were yelling and screaming and fighting and understanding it wasn't personal, it then became somewhat tedious. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I, I do think it led to the divisiveness. I also think that talk radio and the internet and everything else has given everybody and their mother a platform 
and, and that's everybody's right. I, f- I fully understand that, but um, I'm not so sure that everybody uh, uh, deserves a platform. <laughs> but if it's an opinion type of uh, podcast or a political type of podcast, people are uh, able still to go find content that they agree with mm-hmm. that never questions th- th- what they agree with. And I'm not so sure I think that's healthy, mm-hmm. because I think now we seek like-minded people on almost anything uh, instead of actually putting ourselves in a position where we almost have to question our own opinions, which I think strengthens your opinions, not weakens them. So how has the radio industry changed, um, particularly uh, you know, in the last 20, 30 years, in your opinion? Well, that's uh, um, Got internet, a, yeah. Um, show prep. Uh, you you know this, but uh, I mean, I remember when the USA Today first came out, and uh, for a radio guy that was looking for stuff to fill in the gaps between records, uh, that was a that was a godsend because uh, you had all these short, concise articles, or you had that one section that had little news blurbs from every state in the union and. Uh, so you could go find content really quickly. Well, the Internet has changed things uh, uh, completely. But back when I first got into radio, and for a good 15, 20 years after that, the owner generally had his office in the corner suite. And um, you, you had an on owner, or maybe two, and at the time, you really just needed to help make them rich. And rich meant hundreds of thousands of dollars, not necessarily millions of dollars. And then over the years, they've uh, they've been bought up by huge corporations, and now you've got to make a whole bunch of stockholders rich. And that's changed the dynamics uh, entirely. When I first got into radio, it was all about the ratings. And depending on how good your ratings were, depended on how much revenue you were going to be capable of making. But I don't believe that the radio now is about ratings. I think it's all about revenue. Mm-hmm. Um, and back in the in the so-called good old days, top radio stations and markets were pulling 15 and 25 and 30 shares of the market. And now nobody's pulling mar- shares like that. Uh, everybody's trying to get their, you know, 4 to 8%. We all are voting our niche. WBT is a uh, conservative uh, GOP uh, based radio station. We're we're looking for conservatives. We're looking. I mean, that's that's who we're looking for. Country music, uh, rock music, classical rock music. I mean, everybody's got their niche, and so we're all trying to get our piece of the pie as opposed to trying to get most of the pie. What does radio do well, and what does it not do well? Uh, we entertain. We uh, inform. I think we react well. Uh, the recent pandemic was uh, uh, interesting. I thought radio uh, was a good uh, source for information. Uh, then you have events that happen uh, immediately, 9-11, uh, tornadoes, whatever the case, or floods, hurricanes. The radio handles that better than I think anybody. Um, so I, I love it for uh, that reason. Uh, I think it's one of its weaknesses in some ways is communication. <laughs> um, and I think uh, slowly but surely we are less dedicated to being an asset to our community because it's now more about profit than it is about uh, being an asset to the community. 
you know, I, I think yeah, I think that's wrong, and, and I and I think it's uh, cutting your nose off to spite your face too. Uh, you, if you're an asset to your community, you'll make your money. Is that the purpose? Do you think of radio? Well, you used to, yeah. I mean, it, it, your 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 license used to be pretty much based on what you did in that community and for that community and with that community. And now I think that's kind of a joke. Now your license is uh, owned by a parent corporation in some city USA, and uh, and and you're not really uh, you're not under that pressure anymore to uh, to be a good caretaker of uh, of, that, of that license for that community. Uh, now I say that radio is still unbelievably good for local communities, and a lot of people still do it really well. And um, you know WBT, who I just uh, retired from. Um, I, I think the, one of the things they still do very well is to get involved in the community and uh, and be a big part of Charlotte, and I think they still understand that. I don't think the ownership group that we had before this uh, gave, a, uh, gave a hoot about Charlotte. So uh, it just kind of depends on what your leadership tells you. Yeah. Do you think that radio survives in its current form? What's the future look like for it? Is there warning signs that you're looking at that don't bode well? I don't know what the future of radio is. You know, the, we we all thought satellite, nobody will ever pay for radio. Satellite radio is doing pretty well now. Mm-hmm. I think there will always be, and, and, and for opinion radio or for spoken word especially, uh, music radio right now, I can take that uh, uh, iPod or my phone and put those uh, ear pods in and uh, and put my music selection on shuffle and never listen to a commercial and every song that plays has been programmed by the greatest program director in the history of mankind, me. Right. <laughs> every song that gets played, I like. Spoken word, um, there'll always be a soapbox someplace. There are a soapbox forum. Uh, the delivery method might change, and I don't know exactly what that might be for the future. Who would have thought podcasts 15 years ago? But so, you know, uh, I think AM radio is in big trouble. And in fact, I think AM radio would, for the most part, be um, in, in more critical condition than it is if it hadn't been for Rush Limbaugh. But I think there will always be a avenue for, uh, you know, the old soapbox guy, the guy standing up on a soapbox in the middle of town square screaming his opinion. Or mm-hmm. uh, we, we still do that. I'm just not exactly sure under what what format or technology we will do that in one of the pearls of wisdom from john hancock who's joining me now john hancock a 30-year radio veteran uh, out of the charlotte area 50 years in the industry um one of the things uh, i learned from you was uh, a lesson that you don't know wilkesbury pennsylvania um well yeah um i rolled into i, I left boulder Chris job playing music um, and went into Wilkesbury, Pennsylvania. And I remember when my dad, uh, when I went off my dad, I don't know why he knew so much about radio. He didn't, but, uh, uh <laughs> he, he said, don't talk too much about how you did things back where you came from and listen more than you talk. Well, one of the lessons I've learned through the process, uh, I learned it in Wilkesbury. They had a, uh, morning guy who just passed away recently by the name of Harry West. And Harry was an institution in Wilkesbury Scranton, had been there for 30 some odd years. And the people of Wilkesbury Scranton loved him. 
And I got into town and thought, this is one of the worst morning shows I've ever heard in my life. And then a couple of years later, I uh, drove up to WTIC in Hartford to interview for a job, legendary radio station. And I uh, was excited because I was going to get to hear Bob Steele. And Bob Steele was a legendary morning guy that I'd read about in the trades all my life. And so I get into town, and I check into a hotel, and I wake up early the next morning. I mean, set the alarm clock at 6 a.m. Could not wait to hear Bob Steele. Worst morning show I've ever heard in my life. And the lesson of those is they may not have adhered to what I was looking for, but the people in those communities loved those guys. They had, over a period of time, become a habit become a part of that community. And uh, I was wrong. They were the best morning shows I ever heard in my life. They were exactly perfect for that particular market. I, I think that's kind of what I found in Charlotte. Uh, I'm not the best talk show host that ever lived, but somehow or another, I ended up with a bond with the people of Charlotte, North Carolina. And I can't really fully explain it, but... Um, if you listen to me stutter and listen to me uh, talk when you were, if you were driving through Charlotte, you might have said to yourself, what, this guy has been <laughs> around for 20, 30 years? But that's because you don't know Charlotte and you don't know me and you don't know my relationship with Charlotte or Charlotte's relationship with me. Uh, a couple other things. Um, a caller can make you quit smoking. Uh, I, I'll never forget you telling the story of why you started to quit smoking. It was a caller that said something to you that really got under your skin. He was instrumental in it, and um, I'd been smoking for a long time, 30 years. And uh, a guy called, and out of the blue uh, said to me one day, you're a smoker, aren't you? And I said, yeah, how'd you know? And he said, I can hear in your laugh. And so when I would chuckle and laugh, I would, I would have that raspy. And I swore that that didn't... Uh, that that didn't bother me, but it did. It bothered the heck out of me. At that same time, I ended up with some sort of a virus or some sort of a something and ended up with a doctor and just almost as a second thought said to him, I know you can't give me a magic drug to help me quit smoking, but, and uh, he said, I'll give you a Nicotrol inhaler. It's a prescription only thing. And I put that on the coffee table and let it sit there for a month and a half. And then finally, uh, set a date and started using it and uh, never gave myself permission to uh, buy cigarettes again. But I always remembered that call phone caller um, uh, telling me, yep, I can hear it in your laugh. Uh, and boy, uh, that, you know, that went right to my ego. Is that why? I was, I was wondering, like, why, what was it about that comment that got to you? I didn't want to be that guy. Um, I, don't, I, I didn't want to be the one that had that raspy laugh. Hey, we've all talked to somebody that smoked for 10 years longer than they should have smoked. Um, and uh, I, didn't, I didn't want to be that guy. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, that, uh, that bothered me. And then the other part was uh, I love doing radio. And if he could hear that then and I still had, what, 20 years to go before retirement, I needed to get rid of that really quick. And the funny thing about it is, is it took almost no time at all after I officially quit smoking cigarettes for that that part of it to go away. That That's one of the, you know, after you, those, those uh, charts you see after a week, after a month, after a year, after five years, 
Um, I would say after six months, uh, I started to lose that, and uh, and I could and I could hear it, and I could and I could feel it. Yeah. Well, as a uh, former smoker as well, I know exactly what you're talking about. I could hear it in myself as well, and um, I also know that if I ever get diagnosed with a terminal disease, the first thing I'm going to do is run down to the corner and buy a pack of cigarettes and resume smoking. That's the first thing that I do. I'll probably stop the doctor halfway be- before he's done with the diagnosis. Hold that thought, doc. I'll be right back. John, John Prine, who just uh, passed away recently, uh, wrote a song that said, uh, when I get to heaven, and one of the things he says uh, when he gets to heaven, he's going to smoke a cigarette that's nine miles long. <laughs> that's right. Exactly. Uh, and I've always said the same thing as a as a now a diabetic. Uh, when they tell me I've got six months to live, I'm going to go buy a, a carton of ice cream and, uh, and a pack of cigarettes. <laughs> Go out in style. Uh, although I don't know if that's going to be a very pleasant scene to walk in on at some point. Um, I'm talking with John Hancock, the legendary WBT host out of Charlotte, North Carolina. Now you should talk to Schaefer Smith. If you're scrambling to set up or improve your business's website, it can be overwhelming. So let my friend Schaefer Smith at Schaefer Smith Design help you with logos, graphics, photos, an online store, search engine optimization, website maintenance and security. For professional services, corporate, small business and entrepreneurs, Schaefer Smith Design. Make your site look professional and user friendly for your customers and you so you can adapt quickly. SchaeferSmith.com. That's Schaefer SchaeferSmith.com. I'm talking with John Hancock, and he's been on the radio for three decades in Charlotte, North Carolina. Who are some of the people that had the biggest influence on your career or your your on-air style? Well, I've mentioned some of them. Uh, Jay Mack, the old uh, Kim Jock, K-I-M-N Jock in Denver. Listening to Harry Carey call baseball games in St. Louis when I was a kid, Bomb would send me to bed, and I'd put that transistor radio with the earplug in my ear, and, uh, and I was a huge baseball fan when I was a kid. So listening to Harry Carey call a baseball game with his new uh, color guy, Joe Garagiola, was, uh, was a special treat for, uh, uh, for a kid. Um, there's a guy who ran through... Uh, uh, Charlotte for a, a quick stint at uh, the old uh, KISS radio station named Mike Butts, who taught me more about show prep and uh, and knowing what you're going to do when you open up that mic switch. Uh, taught me more in six months than uh, most of these people I've worked with have taught me in, uh, in years. Uh, and there's a radio legend out of uh, Denver now living in Phoenix and uh, working the Arizona market, but his name's Danny Davis. And uh, Danny actually hired me to uh, work a nightclub uh, in uh, Denver when I was spinning uh, records in nightclubs. But uh, mm-hmm. Danny was one of the fabled KIMN jocks as well. And I've gotten to know him over the years. And he's just been a huge influence on uh, on how to do it right and how to do it wrong. Do you have any recollection of, like, best topics, worst topics that you've ever done? Well, I started um, – I learned early that uh, – um, uh, talking about abortion was just a dead end street, and uh, you weren't going to gain uh, friends or influence people. Uh, everybody's pretty set on, um, so I avoided that at all at all costs. Uh, it just wouldn't go there. Now I say that, and then over the last uh, few years, there have been some just, in my opinion, abhorrent stories about. Uh, and there I go, starting to talk about abortion. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, it, it, it's gotten harder to not talk about yeah. because uh, uh, some of the stuff that you hear and read these days is just terrible. But 
so there were things like that. You know the story about the day my dad died, um, and I came in and uh, my dad had been in a coma for 10 days, and everybody at the radio station and everybody in my audience knew it because I'd pretty much talked to him about it. And uh, my dad died, and I came in and uh, decided to do my own show. I was kind of in that state of denial that you get when you uh, suffer a loss like that. And I um, opened up the phone lines, got on the air that morning at 9 o'clock, and said, as you well know, my dad has been uh, top of mind for me over the last 10 days. I thought it might be interesting if you all called in today uh, and told me about yours. And for three hours, people called in and talked about their dads, and especially guys. Um, it gets emotional. I, I talk about being yourself on the radio. It was the most honest three hours of radio I've ever heard in my life. Nobody was trying to impress anybody. Nobody was saying what they wanted somebody else or what they thought somebody else wanted them to say. It was people talking about their dads. Uh, most of them good, not all of them. But so for three hours, people called in and got emotional and men crying and talking about their dads. And then at the end of it, I announced that I had lost mine the night before and was going to go off to Colorado and take care of business. And then we would come back. Well, that show had such an impact on me for the next uh, 26 years. Uh, five, 25 years uh, on March the 16th, which is the anniversary of my dad's death, or as near to that date as we could do it, we would do Father's Day. And we'd open up the phone lines and people would call in for three hours and talk about their dads. And the message ultimately being make the call or write the letter or do whatever you have to do, however you need to communicate it, to let your dad know how you feel about him. And I understand that not everybody can say it, but somehow or another let him know. Believe me, in some ways, it's the most selfish thing you'll ever do for yourself because you won't live with a guilty conscience. When I went back to take care of my dad's arrangements, um, I went into his bedroom and I opened up his chest of drawers. And uh, there with the pocket knife that he had and a Army-issued prayer book, along with the copy of the robe that he remembered being in an Air Force transport plane uh, when he claims uh, God spoke to him when he found God. Um, there was my letter. Hmm. And so I knew I had gotten to him. I knew I had done what I wanted to do. And I've never had that guilt. Dad and I had a uh, off and on again relationship for a long, long time. We ended on great terms. So that's the message out of that show. And that, and that's when they write my obituary, they'll, they'll write about Father's Day. I remember hearing you tell this story that your mom asked, how come you don't do a Mother's Day, story, uh, Mother's Day show for her? Yeah, I remember that question. I, I, I don't remember how I answered it on the spur of the moment. I don't know, uh, because there's nobody I love more in this uh, planet than my mom. Uh, I was blessed to have two really great parents. The, the Father's Day thing was so honest and so heartfelt. I, I think once I had done the Father's Day thing, to do the Mother's Day thing would have almost been overkill. <laughs> but, but yeah, well, I, don't yeah, know I get that it. That's yeah. necessarily the the reason for it. I I just don't know that it ever came to me from the same place in the same way that Father's Day occurred. Father's Day uh, occurred because of how it happened. I never planned to do that. Dad died. I sat there smoking cigarettes, waiting to call uh, the guy who would replace me that day on the air and at six o'clock in the morning i decided to heck with it my flight doesn't leave until three o'clock this afternoon i'll go in and do my own show and that's what father's day came out of it, it it happened because it was supposed to happen and it lasted for 25 years because uh it was supposed to last for 25 years and to all of a sudden uh force the flip side of it 
Uh, I don't know that it would have been uh, uh, as authentic or as uh, original or as good. Mm -hmm. The other thing is that I do think to some extent, I'll get in trouble for this, everybody's got a special relationship with their moms, especially guys. But there's nothing like the relationship between a father and a son or a daughter and a father. And that's not always good. And a lot of times that can be tense. I think most of the time you have a pretty close relationship with your mother. But you don't always have a really close relationship with your father. It just The Father's Day thing just comes from a place uh, in your heart and your soul that I don't know that can be duplicated. Mm. Well, and I know over the years people would call uh, and tell you about the impact you had on their life because of that show. People, um, sometimes people would send me the letters that they sent to their dad. Uh, almost felt like a voyeur. Mm. <laughs> but, I mean, could there be a, a, a bigger honor uh, than for somebody to share something that personal uh, and say, thank you, you inspired me to do this? Uh, I, you know, I got into records originally to get free records and chicks. Um, I don't know that I ever thought I was going to be an influence uh, on anybody. And uh, to all of a sudden uh, come to the realization that actually, yeah, you have been an influence on uh, on people. Uh, is this, is it, I'm as proud of that as uh, anything I've done in my life. I'm just the luckiest guy in the world, and the good Lord's taken unbelievable care of me and given me a great... Uh, career and somehow or another introduced me to Charlotte, North Carolina, and I'll uh, I'll forever be thankful for that. John Hancock, Charlotte's most beloved, a North Carolina radio legend. Uh, I have had a lot of mentors in this business, all to varying degrees. Many of the best uh, came out of those Jefferson Pilot Communications days uh, when I first uh, landed at WBT on the news side at Jim Barrow, Brad Schultz, John Stokes. On the management side, Rick Jackson, uh, Bill White, Carl East. But I have to say, John, you are probably the biggest uh, influence as a talk show host. I want to thank you for the positive influence that you've had on my life and my career. Well, and, and thank you. I mean, it, it goes back to what I just said. I, I, I can't think of anything I can be more prouder about uh, because uh, I've got a, a lot of respect for you and the way that you've gone about your life and your business. And, uh, um, and for you to say that to me uh, means a lot to me. So thank you. Well, John, thank you. I appreciate it. And thank you for the generosity of your, uh, with your time today. I really do appreciate it. That'll be $75. That's right. You told me the retirement rate. All right, let me stop the tape. The full interview ran almost half an hour longer than this, so if you want to catch all of that, head on over to the Patreon page, become a patron. Links are at thepetecallendershow.com.